0: hey guys welcome to a new episode i hope that you're benefiting from uh, this series and able to listen to them as many times as you like let's get started this is your host muhammad halaiba and first question what causes focal increased hepatic uptake of sulfur colloid so three things would increase hepatic uptake of sulfur colloid: include focal nodular hyperplasia and regenerating nodule in a cirrhotic liver. And finally, Bud Chiari syndrome, which results in increased caudate uptake because of thrombosis of the hepatic vein. And so the rest of the liver is not as metabolically active as the caudate lobe because the caudate lobe empties directly into the uh, the IVC. The rest of the liver would have to go through the hepatic vein, which is thrombosed in Bud Chiari syndrome. Again, increased focal hepatic uptake of sulfur colloid can be seen in focal nodular hyperplasia, regenerating nodule, and in Bud Chiari syndrome, we see focal increased uptake in the caudate lobe. Histologic differences between male and female breast tissue. Male breast tissue do not have lobules, so because they're not exposed to progesterone. So development of lobules depend on progesterone. So males do not have lobules. What that means is males do not get lobules related pathology, including uh, fibroadenoma. Arrhythmogenic cardiomyopathy imaging feature. This diagnosis is also known as arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy, ARVC, and also known as arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia, ARVD all the terms are referring to right ventricle, but it does not have to be right ventricle only, commonly right ventricle, but not necessarily right ventricle. And it represents fibro fatty replacement of the right or ventricular myocyte, which causes focal contraction abnormality and possibly aneurysms. Diagnosis depends on minor and major criterias, and they include presence of right ventricular enlargement and or focal aneurysm previously myocardial fat used to be a factor in this diagnosis and it is no longer part of the criteria because fat is typically can be seen in older individual this diagnosis because of arrhythmia would require icd placement again arrhythmogenic cardiomyopathy or arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy or arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia represent ph- fibrofatty replacement of the ventricular myocyte, which results in contraction abnormalities and aneurysm formation. Minor and major criteria from imaging standpoint, we require right ventricular enlargement and or presence of aneurysms. Previously, they used to consider fat as part of the criteria. Fat in the myocardial muscles is no longer a criteria because it's normal seen with aging. And treatment or require placement of ICD. Osteoid osteoma. This is a benign osteoblastic lesion typically characterized by anitis of osteoid tissue surrounded by reactive bone sclerosis. On CT scan translating what I just said what we see we see a lucent area surrounding by sclerosis so we'll see dark bone surrounding by lucent area, and then this is surrounded by sclerosis. On presentation, it's a young patient, so teenager or so, presents with night pain that is relieved by aspirin. Common location include diaphysis of long bones and posterior element of the spine. Again, imaging feature, CT scan, we see a lucent nidus surrounded by sclerosis. On bone scan, we see the double density sign. Again, the double density. First, we'll see uh, reactive inflammation or radiotracer uptake surrounded by additional radiotracer uptake on the periphery due to reactive or inflammatory changes. The treatment for it is radiofrequency ablation or keratage. Again, osteoid osteoma is lucent nidus surrounded by sclerosis. So we'll have faint... Uh, It has a characteristic appearance, so I'm sure everyone is familiar with it at this point. Treatment for is radiofrequency ablation or keratage. Okay, a brain MRI question. So this is a diagnosis that typically affect young to middle-aged women and presents with a triad of acute to subacute encephalopathy, bilateral sensorineural hearing loss and branch retinal arterial occlusion again typically affect young to middle-aged females with a triad of acute or subacute encephalopathy bilateral sensorineural hearing loss and branch retinal arterial occlusion diagnosis is susac syndrome otherwise known as secret S-I-C-R-E-T syndrome, which stands for small infarctions of cochlear, retinal, and encephalic tissue. On MRI, the key feature is on T1. On a sagittal T1, what we'll see, we'll see central lesions on the corpus callosum. So it kind of looks like uh, a mass, except a mass radiates, and it's a not a nodular lesion. These are nodular or small nodules in sagittal uh MRI of the brain, particularly on T1, we'll see T1 bright signal in the corpus callosum. We also see T2 bright signal, but the T1 characteristic is a classic. Again, SUSAC syndrome or Cycret syndrome, small infarction of the cochlea, retina, and encephalic tissue. Really, the name says it all. What are the two main pulse sequences? We have spin echo and gradient echo or GRE sequences. Spin echo has high signal to noise ratio. The gradient recall echo is faster sequence and preferred for rapid imaging. Again, two main sequences, spin echo and gradient recall echo GRE. GRE is faster, obviously has more uh, susceptibility to artifact, spin echo is slower and has a higher signal to noise ratio. Causes for upper lung predominant bronchiectasis Cystic fibrosis, sarcoidosis, and post-radiation changes. Again, upper lobe-predominant bronchiectasis can be seen in cystic fibrosis, sarcoidosis, and post-radiation fibrosis. Obviously other causes, but these are the most common ones. Again, upper lobe bronchiectasis can be seen in cystic fibrosis, sarcoidosis, and post-radiation fibrosis. Anatomy of the axillary view so on the axillary x-ray of the shoulder the coracoid is seen anteriorly again coracoid is anteriorly or you know most superior on the top of the plane film is the coracoid which marks for the anterior shoulder additionally we see the lesser tuberosity superiorly or at the top of the film greater tuberosity is seen posteriorly and the acromion is seen posteriorly again On an axillary view radiograph, what we see at the top of the film or superiorly is the coracoid process and lesser tuberosity. And then the acromium and greater tuberosity are seen. Posterior, Posterior structures are seen inferiorly. You see a plain film showing a, you know, of the shoulder. And there is a calcified or peripherally rim calcified soft tissue lesion adjacent to the bone not close to a couple of centimeter from the bone within the soft tissue they're trying to get you to think of myositis asifican again myositis asifican you'll see peripheral rim calcification in a soft tissue mass typically there would be a history of trauma we'll talk more about it okay what are the differences between sleeve gastrectomy and gastric bypass we'll start with the easier one which is sleeve gastrectomy the name says it, sleeve gastrectomy, so you take a large portion of the stomach. Gastrectomy meaning you throw in that part of the stomach outside the body. You're not really changing the anatomy. You're just cutting the stomach. What is gastric? Bypass gastric. Bypass, as it sounds, we're bypassing the stomach. This is done by creating very, very small pouch of stomach, so the portion of the stomach connected to the esophagus you connect that portion with the jejunum. So you cut the stomach in in two portions. Small part that connect the esophagus to the stomach is then attached to the jejunum. And then the then that portion is re anastomosed. So we'll have jejunal jejunal anastomosis and gastric jejunal anastomosis the remnant or gastric pouch the remnant gastric pouch remain in place and that's how the patient will get their bile and their get their gastric uh, some of their gastric juices coming into their jejunum so you'll have two anastomosis in gastric bypass you'll have uh, gastric gastro and jejuno What is T1 relaxation or T1 recovery? This is the time it takes for the tissue to recover to its longitudinal state, meaning parallel to the magnetic field this is the amount of time after the RF pulse was administered. Again, T1 relaxation or recovery is the time it takes for the tissue to recover to its longitudinal state. Again, we are focus on the word longitudinal state. The way I remember we're talking about the longitudinal state, meaning parallel to the magnetic field, is L kind of looks like a 1, and T1 relaxation time refers to returning to the longitudinal state or parallel to the magnetic field. All of this have L in it, parallel, magnetic field, longitudinal state, and T1 relaxation. Again, T1 relaxation or T1 recovery is the time it takes for tissue to recover to its longitudinal state. And this is the amount of time after the RF pulse was administered. What is Shatzky's ring? Shatsky's ring is symptomatic narrowing of the distal esophagus. So if the distal esophagus is narrowed but the patient is not symptomatic, technically it's not Shatzky's ring, we typically should be used when the patient is symptomatic. So narrowing of the distal esophagus with symptoms is termed Shatzky's ring. Key finding in extra pleural hematoma, so, the key finding to differentiate extrapleural hematoma is the inward displacement of the extrapleural fat. So, there would be a hematoma, but the difference between this hematoma and the hematoma within the lung or the pleura is that there is no fat displacement. And this is easily noted on chest x ray or CT scan. You'll see the thin fat line anterior to the hematoma. So again, extrapleural hematoma, hallmark with inward displacement of the extrapleural fat, and represent large extrapleural collection. Typically, sequelae of trauma, so it will contain high dense material and may be associated with rib fracture. Trying to get that, this is not a pleural hematoma, this is extrapleural. And the key thing is that there's the extrapleural fat. You're shown a transverse ultrasound of the bladder with twinkle artifact at the ureterovesical junction they're trying to get to that there is a small renal stone in the ureterovesical junction so a small stone in the ureterovesical junction will display twinkle artifact on ultrasound common complications relating to subarachnoid hemorrhage will get hydrocephalus or recurrent hemorrhage and finally ischemia secondary to vasospasms seen about four to ten days after initial subarachnoid hemorrhage so the vasospasms in subarachnoid hemorrhage is seen uh, four to ten days it's not seen day, day one or day two after the incident it's seen ten days after the subarachnoid hemorrhage okay you're shown a axial slice d2 weighted MRI showing T2 bright hyperintense signal confined to the dorsal column in an inverted V configuration. That's all you need. What's the diagnosis? The diagnosis is subacute combined degeneration. This is characteristic finding of B12 deficiency. Again, T2 hyperintense signal in the dorsal column in an inverted V configuration. This is consistent with B12 deficiency and the disease is called subacute combined degeneration. I think it's also associated with HIV as well, but I doubt they'll ask that. Again, inverted V-shape in the dorsal column with T2 bright signal consistent with B12 deficiency or subacute combined degeneration. Right, you guys have a good day.